Hey, Jen, want to talk about birth control? Well, abstinence works 100% of the time. Uh, great. Today we're going to discuss some of the important biblical principles that apply to the topic of birth control. Let's do it. Welcome to the Intimate Covenant Podcast, where we believe the Bible and great married sex both belong on your kitchen table. That's right, we're talking about holy, covenant-bound, intimate relationships with hot sex. We're Matt and Jen, founders of Intimate Covenant. We offer biblical teaching and resources to help married couples achieve a fuller relationship and an extraordinary sex life. For more information, visit our website, IntimateCovenant.com. Welcome, friends. Welcome, friends. Thanks for joining us. Happy here, New Year. Here we are at the start of January, and this this episode is like the episode where winter break is actually over. Probably most of you have gone back to normal life. We're a couple of weeks into January now, and I don't know, that comes with like the excitement of, okay, getting back into real life and... And maybe you have to kickstart yourself a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> leaving some of the fun things behind, and that's yeah. always a little bit of a transition. We had a, a really fun winter break. We had the college boy home, which is always good. And while he was home, he celebrated his 20th birthday, which means Matt and I are the parents of three kids in their 20s and only <laughs> one teenager. I don't even know how this happens. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. It's lots of mixed emotions there, but mostly exciting. Yes, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but over winter break, we um, we played some encore episodes for you guys, and we hope those were beneficial to you. Those were episodes that we had previously recorded that we thought um, were worth a second or third listen. Yeah, uh, episodes that really had to do a lot with um, just kind of how to reassess your marriage, how to um, critically think about where are we and where mm-hmm. would we like to be. Uh, so hopefully those were beneficial. They they are beneficial to us because they gave us a little bit of a break. Yes. Not having <laughs> to record true. podcast episodes every <laughs> week, but we're back and we're ready to go. And we are actually starting off this year with two episodes that um, we have been promising for a long time, probably yes. since some of our very first episodes came out. Yeah, We've true. been promising these episodes. So if you were listening in December, which you may have not been, so you could go back and catch them if you weren't sure. listening. But if you were listening in December, you know we squeezed in three episodes that were geared towards the unmarried. And these episodes that we're getting ready to do are kind of a little bit along those same lines, coming off of at least some of those episodes. We're going to tackle the issue of birth control. Yeah, we had had a few episodes, especially one about uh, kind of newlyweds. And obviously, if you're newlyweds, you're going to be thinking about birth control. So that kind of spurred us to finally put this uh, (laughs) episode down on paper and and onto the uh, radio waves, as it were. Yeah, we have definitely received a whole lot of requests to talk about birth control. So we're finally doing it. I think our hesitation in doing these episodes is because, frankly, this can just be a really controversial topic. And there's a lot of passionate opinions and views when it comes to birth control. And so I think it 
took you and I a little bit of time to kind of figure out, okay, how do we want to jump into um, these passionate opinions? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Although, you know, if, if you've been listening for any time at all, you know, we're, we're not necessarily afraid of people's opinions. We are very uh, happy to receive your opinions. And, and mm-hmm. honestly, <laughs> after this episode, I hope we get some expression of opinions in the emails uh, and feedback. You can address um, those to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fine. Uh, you can reach us at feedback at uh, intimate, co- or sorry, podcast at intimatecovenant.com. We're also there at feedback at intimatecovenant.com. Yeah. Use whatever email address suits you. <laughs> there you go. Uh, you can also make those comments anonymously uh, through our website. Go to intimatecovenant.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm. Click on the button that says contact the podcast and you'll uh, a form should pop up that will give you uh, a means to submit whatever you want to say to us. We'll never know who it is. Uh, feel free to uh, right. submit that feedback there. I mean, we're certainly not trying to make any friends or enemies with this episode. We're not trying to be very polarizing, but we do want to jump into this and be informative. Yeah. But mostly we just want to give information. Because, yeah. Uh, when we were younger, there just were, number one, there weren't that many choices for birth control like there are right. today. Right. But yeah. also there was very little conversation in the church about how to biblically consider these options. Right. I don't remember anybody talking to us about birth control. No. If you, if you know our story, you know we started our marriage pregnant. So, Maybe they felt like they didn't need to talk to us about birth control at that point. Uh, But when it came time to consider what role would birth control play in our marriage, I really don't remember much conversations that were, you know, being had. And so I've never heard the topic discussed in a sermon or a Bible class. Yeah, so we hope to put together these episodes to kind of just help, um, help enlighten and add some knowledge to it all. Because, I mean, in in many circles, this is still a bit of a taboo kind of topic. Mm -hmm. And um, frankly, there's a lot of misunderstandings, I think, about this topic, both biblically and scientifically. Right. And so, we want to encourage couples to make intentional and make biblically informed decisions about birth control, if Mm -hmm. they're going to use birth control and why, and also what Things do they need to consider in how they choose what methods of birth control they may or may not be using? So this week and next, um, at, at least based on kind of how this outline is laid out, uh, we're going to uh, talk about some biblical principles about um, the, the kinds of principles that ought to influence how we view birth control, mm-hmm. and then also uh, probably mostly next week we're going to consider some of the pros and cons of the specific birth control methods that are available. Yes. And, so, you know, we don't intend to make this a deep theological or biological discussion. I'll, I'll rein Matt in on Mr. Science <laughs> Nerd Guy over there. Because uh, we could we, go we, there if you want. We could. And, you know, this isn't supposed to be all about the definition of life or the discernment of spirit and flesh or the meaning of conception. Like, we're not trying to really dig in deep there. Right, right. Uh, you know, although certainly I'm happy to do that in the emails if you want to discuss that more deeply. But <laughs> uh, the, the primary debates about birth control, at least in my mind, kind of hinge on a couple of important questions. And that mm-hmm. is, number one, what is a Christian's obligation towards the command in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply? Right. Uh, and then if some means of birth control are appropriate then which methods may constitute killing human life and therefore should the which methods should be avoided? Right. Um, 
Now, all of this, and it should probably goes without saying, but this conversation and the controversy surrounding birth control is really tightly connected to the abortion debate as well. And that's, you know, obviously a very hot button topic, Mm -hmm. but this, it's not really the focus of our episode, but we're going to kind of inevitably need to uh, touch on some of these biblical concepts that are just relevant to this conversation as a whole. Okay, so I think to start the conversation, Matt, we have to at least start with a basic physiology of natural conception, right? We have to know what is actually happening. And it's a lot more complicated than maybe how we tell our kids, right? We we can say to our children, like, there's a little special part of a daddy's body and a special part of a mommy's body, and when they meet each other... God puts a baby in the mommy's belly. Right? <laughs> it's a little, that yeah. works for a two-year-old, but it doesn't really work in our marriage. No, but right? but I would say even in you know basic even high school biology, it's presented as you know egg meets sperm and bang, you're pregnant. Yeah, uh, it, it's way more complicated than that, and not that everybody needs to be an expert in biology to understand uh, birth control or why these methods may or may not be appropriate. But there, these methods work in different ways, and I do think it is important for uh, someone who's considering what methods to use to understand what this is actually doing, because as we'll see, maybe uh, there are some important considerations. Okay, Matt. So I'm going to allow you a few minutes to explain the basic biology, but I'm watching the clock. Okay. Well, y'all know this is like my wheelhouse, and I, I love to talk about the biology, the physiology, the anatomy, and all of that. But I'm going to try to keep this as simple as possible. Uh, but most importantly, I, I, there are some important concepts that I want you to get from this. But I guess let's start with, like, for pregnancy to occur, okay, during natural, uh, a natural scenario, for pregnancy to occur, there first has to be ovulation, meaning that an egg which only women have, of course, an egg has to be dropped from the ovary into the fallopian tube. This process happens approximately once a month at the midway point of a woman's menstrual cycle. Okay, that's probably not a surprise to anybody, but what you may not know is that an egg can survive in the fallopian tube for about 24 hours if it's not fertilized. Mm -hmm. That's a lot less maybe than what some people might think. Mm -hmm. When semen is deposited into the woman through vaginal intercourse, uh, i.e. when a man and woman have sexual intercourse, the sperm swim into the uterus through the cervix, and then due to hormonal influences um, that are going on in the woman's body because of the timing of her menstrual menstrual cycle, um, after she is ovulated or or around the time that she is ovulating, the uterus changes the nature of the fluid that's inside of it and the fluid that is on the cervix. And this makes it much more inviting for sperm to survive and it makes it more easy for sperm to travel through the uterus. The uterus is also helping this process along. It's actually pulling sperm upward towards the fallopian tubes as well. And sperm can survive... Uh, for about five to seven days in a uterus that is welcoming. In other words, during that time of ovulation or surrounding that time of ovulation, sperm can survive to about five to seven days. Mm -hmm. And of course, that time is much shorter if the woman is not in her fertile time. Uh, So this means, uh, boiling all this down, this means that pregnancy can occur if there is vaginal sex 
about five to seven days before ovulation and up to one day after ovulation. So there's like this five to seven day window, roughly, um, where a a woman can potentially conceive. Obviously, individual results may vary. Right. So every single time that vaginal sex is had doesn't mean that you can... That will result in pregnancy. Yes, and that's an important point, especially uh, going forward as we consider specific methods of birth control. Now, um, after the sperm entered the fallopian tube, uh, so they've traveled from the vaginal canal through the cervix all the way through the uterus and into the fallopian tubes. And if you don't know... I'm getting flashbacks of like... The VHS tape that was played in my health class. But keep going, Matt. This well, is great. <laughs> if you don't understand what I'm saying with the anatomical terms, you probably should Google that. Um, and, and so you can, you can get up to speed. But as the sperm enter the fallopian tube, they have to undergo several transformations, um, which help them to find the egg. It helps them to break into the egg. And then ultimately, the sperm must combine their genetic material with the genetic material that's inside the egg. So essentially, the genetic material from the husband and the genetic material from the wife get combined uh, in that egg, uh, and it becomes a fertilized egg. Mm-hmm. This process is called fertilization, okay, well, when, when that combination occurs. Once it's fertilized... Then the egg travels downward toward the uterus. It continues moving through the fallopian tubes. It starts to divide. It starts to grow into different forms that we call a zygote and then a blastocyst. But finally, after about 6 to 12 days of traveling towards and into the uterus, it reaches a comfortable spot in the lining of the uterus and it will attach. Which I think is much longer than what most of us think, Mm -hmm. right? First of all, the egg isn't hanging out in the uterus. It's up in the fallopian tube. Yes. And it takes a little bit to get down into the uterus. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, a lot of folks misunderstand that the fertilization even occurs not in the uterus, but in the fallopian tube. So mm-hmm. that, that's another important point. All right, point. so we have a fertilized egg that has reached the uterus. And it has it is attaching, and that attachment requires... Um, communication between the egg and the uterus uh, and some transformations that occur in both of those um, forms. But this process is called implantation, okay? Mm -hmm. At the point of implantation is when doctors and researchers commonly agree that pregnancy officially begins. So, you don't have to agree with this designation, okay? When pregnancy occurs and when it starts You don't have to agree that that happens at implantation, but you do need to know that this is what scientists mean and this is what your doctor means when they say that you are pregnant and when the start date of your pregnancy is. Implantation being the start date, not fertilization. Yes. Okay. Now, that said, an OBGYN is also going to ask you when the date of your last period was and because that's the only known date, because we don't know exactly when implantation occurs. There's no way to mm-hmm. be there and capture that moment on camera. Or when fertilization occurs. Or even fertilization. Right. We don't know exactly when that's happening. So an OBGYN is often going to use the date of your last period because that is a known event. And so they can use they mm-hmm. can calculate from there. But the, the bottom line is you don't know exactly when you got pregnant in terms of the day, the hour, the minute. And it also depends on whether you're um, understanding of pregnancy means fertilization or implantation. Mm-hmm. Because this this term conception 
like the, the you know you see the billboards concept life begins at conception well the term conception itself is a little bit confusing because some people use this term conception to mean the moment that the egg and sperm are joined together at fertilization. Mm-hmm. But others use the term synonymously with implantation. They think that, or they believe that conception begins at implantation because that's when pregnancy officially begins from a medical or scientific standpoint. Now, this the distinction. You, you may think, well, who cares, Matt? That's you know, we're talking like a matter of hours or days, and the difference is not that important. Well, the the distinction there does have very significant ramifications in legal and political arenas with respect to abortion and contraception laws. And we could go down a whole nother rabbit trail. But what's even more confusing is that most states. Most state laws don't even clearly define what they mean by conception. Mm. So that makes this all a little bit more confusing. And again, in, in terms of birth control, the, the, the confusing part is that some methods of birth control operate by preventing fertilization, mm-hmm. and some methods work more um, directly at preventing implantation. Right. So, so we need to understand the terms and understand exactly what all is happening as we're thinking about what method of birth control do we want to pick. Exactly. But suffice it to say for now, fertilization is when the egg and sperm are joined in the fallopian tube. Mm -hmm. Implantation occurs approximately 14 days later when the embryo joins itself to the uterine wall and begins to um, grow more profusely and begins to uh, enmesh itself uh, in, in that uterine wall. Conception, though, is an ambiguous term. It might mean fertilization. It might mean implantation. It might simply refer to the general process of getting pregnant. So that's not a specific term. And so be careful when you use that term or be careful when you read that term that you understand what is meant in -hmm. the context. And for our conversation, I think the term contraception is also very ambiguous, right? I mean, it may be referring to products that prevent ovulation. Mm -hmm. It might be referring to, you know, different things that prevent fertilization, or maybe it's referring to things that prevent implantation. Um, Or it might even be referring to things that remove a newly implanted fetus. So when we're talking about contraception, we need to break it down more into what exactly is happening? And, and so, when. So you yeah. had to have the biology lesson from that in order to understand the conversation yes. we want to have with yes. you guys. <laughs> and then, of course, after implantation, that, that developing embryo and the uterus become enmeshed through the development of a placenta. And then the whole cascade of hormonal events bring about these drastic changes in the womb and drastic changes in that growing baby, resulting in the cessation of the menstrual cycle. And the creation of this nurturing womb and a growing baby. All so right. So that's how it all happens. Health class 101, how there a baby go. is made. That's all you need. You <laughs> could pass the whole semester with just that uh, five minutes. Um, now, it, it's estimated, what's interesting, and maybe we don't realize, it's estimated that up to 50 to 75% of fertilized eggs do not result in pregnancy. That is a much higher number than I think we 
generally realize. Yeah. So up to three quarters of the time, even when the a sperm and an egg, sperm and egg join together, it doesn't result in implantation uh-huh. for many reasons. Sometimes implantation doesn't occur, and sometimes an implanted embryo just simply doesn't survive more than a few days or weeks. And many women never even know that fertilization occurred or that implantation yeah. occurred. There's but- no way to know. Mm-hmm. There, there's no test at this point point in time. There's no test to even know whether that has happened or not. Right. So you would often never even know if fertilization occurred. Right. Which begs the question then, when does life begin? Yeah. When does life become a living soul? When does that life become an eternal divine image of God? Right. Is it at conception when the sperm and egg are first united? Does it happen when the fertilized egg begins to divide? Does that is that the moment that it becomes a, mm-hmm. a human life with eternal uh, an eternal being? Yeah. Uh, is it, it when the egg is implanted in the womb? Right. Uh, or is it when the embryo starts receiving blood supply? Is it when there is a heartbeat? Is it when there is brain activity? Or, or what about when there when the that baby is what's called viable when it could be born and and have a likelihood of survival. Right. Uh, is it when the baby is actually born when it takes its first breath? Is that when it becomes a a human baby with a soul and eternal consequences? And, and this is a question we all have to wrestle with, right? When does life begin? Yeah, and part of that question is, you know, if we believe that life begins at fertilization. And that's when it becomes an eternal soul. Then we've got to wrestle with the fact that heaven is going to be filled with more ba- more people that never actually lived on the earth than have lived on the earth. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. So that's a that's a difficult theological uh, and eschatological question. And, and ultimately, that's up to God to yeah. know and decide. Right. But because, well, scientifically, we're going to be very disappointed if we're looking for yeah. a direct and specific answer from Scripture about right, this. Right, right. Scripture does not tell us the moment that God considers life as beginning. Yeah. It just doesn't. Now, there are passages that clearly indicate that that God himself considers that life happens before birth, mm-hmm. right? Passages yeah. like Psalm 139. Um, the beautiful words of David, or Luke one forty two, when Elizabeth's baby leapt in the womb at the sound of Mary's voice, uh, and even in Exodus twenty one, there are all of these passages, and certainly others mm-hmm. um, suggest and indicate clearly indicate, I think, that God plays a role in shaping life before birth, mm-hmm. and that we are obligated to protect that life. Right. Um, so, again, without going too deep down the rabbit trails of the original biblical languages, the various cultural beliefs about conception, pregnancy, and birth, uh, or, or even down the rabbit trails of modern scientific discovery and, and our current understandings of this process, uh, I think it's sufficient to say that the undeniable result of fertilization is something human. Right. It's not plant. It's not animal. It's not mineral. Right. It, it's it, it has. Is, it is human. It and is human. It is alive because it is growing and and reproducing itself. And, and so, therefore, if it is human life, then we ought not to kill it. Absolutely right. And I think those of us listening to this podcast can all agree on that point. 
Now, up to this point, this podcast certainly sounds like a pro-life anti-abortion sermon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's and, not, not necessarily the intention, but... That's right. But, but there are definitely concepts that apply to that conversation. But again, pulling it back to what we want to consider, these issues are super important to consider if you're a Christian trying to decide between different methods of contraception. Yeah, because again, like we, like we talked about, various birth control methods prevent different parts of the process of getting pregnant. Yes. Uh, and so, preventing implantation of a fertilized egg, it may be a very morally or ethically different decision than just simply preventing fertilization. Right. And some feel very strongly about this distinction. And we're not inclined to be dogmatic about this, but it certainly makes sense to choose methods that prevent fertilization over methods that prevent implantation. I, I, I think that's, uh, that's what Scripture would suggest to us. And at least what we understand and what we know about uh, life and birth and conception, what we understand about that and, and reconciling that with what Scripture says, mm-hmm. it certainly makes sense that we should be avoiding methods that are not targeting the prevention of implantation of a fertilized egg. Now, therefore, um, a, a discerning couple... Uh, should really be informed about how these different methods work. And again, yes. next week, we're going to look at many or most of the specific options that are available out there, how they work, and then we'll consider maybe some other pros and cons of each of these options so that you as a couple can be informed about this and can make a decision that works best for you. Yes, Matt and I have done a lot of research about this because there's a lot that we didn't know ourselves, especially um, some newer things that yes, are out there. So right. next week, come back and we'll dig into that. But before we consider which specific method of birth control are preferred, I think there are broader and perhaps more difficult questions to consider. Um, but before we jump into just which birth control, we need to answer the question, is birth control of any kind biblically permissible for a married couple? Friends, we appreciate you. We are thankful for your continued support and encouragement. Your downloads, your ratings, your reviews are so deeply touching. It means the world to us when you reach out with words of encouragement through your emails, social media posts, and especially those hugs when we get to meet some of you in person. It is encouraging to know that our work with this podcast and other projects are benefiting you. If the podcast has been a blessing to you and to your marriage, We would humbly ask that you consider supporting us at Patreon. Your monthly gift, as little as $5, would go a long way to helping us continue to produce this podcast and fund the many other plans that we have for the future to continue to help spread God's plan for marriage and holy sexuality. For more information and to support Intimate Covenant, go to patreon.com slash intimate covenant. We'd be honored for you to join us in this important work. Let's do it. Is this even something that a married couple ought to be considering? Because the very first command that God gives to his newly created humans is to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1. Right. So then the question is, 
if I take any measures, whether that's natural or artificial, if I take any measures to prevent conception, am I directly rebelling against God's will and His command to be hmm. fruitful and multiply? And I would suggest that that's a that's probably a, an extreme and difficult position to affirm once we recognize that God has many other expectations for us besides procreating. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the only command that he gave uh, the man and woman. Uh, obviously, that was important and it was fundamental in that that's what he gave them first to do. But, um, you know, all of these responsibilities that he gave us must be weighed in light of our current circumstances. And thankfully, God gave us the means to thoughtfully and rationally consider what are the best ways to accomplish all of his will. Right. I mean, I think it is fair to ask ourselves if if we have, you know, 20 children, certainly that qualifies as being fruitful and multiplying. But how does that then impact our ability to accomplish his other purposes sure. in the kingdom? Is that his only purpose for us is be fruitful and multiply? Sure. Or are, are there more things? Sure. And, and I think, I mean... I think we could say that God himself commands birth control under some circumstances. And you might think, well, I don't know. Where, but what, what scripture is, what is, is that? What is Matt talking about? Well, does he not insist on sexual abstinence among the unmarried? Right. Right. So then the command to be fruitful and multiply is clearly not unlimited. You're Right. He is not told all human beings everywhere. Under all circumstances. Under all circumstances be fruitful and multiply. Because we know that a baby comes from sex. But sex is limited to the covenant of marriage, yes. and not everybody is going to get married. Yes. Right. And further, it's clear from the very nature of how God created woman that procreation is not his only goal for mankind, right? He created women to be fertile at most one out of every four weeks. And this is only true for a select number of years of her life, right? She right. only becomes fertile, um, you know, as a young woman. And she, at some point, is going to stop menstruating, which means she's not going to ovulate. She's not going to be fertile for the rest of her life after that point. So, even God limits mm-hmm. how much a woman can be fruitful and multiply. So, clearly, that's not her only purpose. Right. I mean, rabbits are very fruitful, <laughs> and they multiply very well. Uh, does that make them more pleasing to God because they can more easily have babies? Or <laughs> right. on the opposite side of that, what about whales who are far less able to multiply um, quickly and freely? Does that make them less pleasing? I know that's kind of silly examples, but well, but but I think even you know not to mention that, that there's some women and even men who just simply are more capable of bearing children than others. Right? Does that make a woman? more pleasing to God that she can or that she can have baby or that she can have a whole lot of babies? Right. Is that how God measures our worth in the kingdom? Clearly, that's not his only purpose for mankind. Um, and I, I think it's also quite clear that uh, that's not his only purpose for the sexual relationship. Yes. And I think this is a big point because an overemphasis on the command of be fruitful and multiply by nature then pushes your sexual union into a goal-oriented, it's all about children. Mm -hmm. Scripture doesn't show that, though. Right. You know, children are never mentioned in Proverbs 5 or in the entire 
book of Song of Songs, which is all about the celebration of married sex. Right. Children aren't a part of that. So we can't say that the sexual relationship is only for the purpose of procreation because that's not what God says. That's exactly right. Ma- marriage is for much more than just creating children. Uh, it, it's, it's about teaching us so much more than that. But perhaps more to the point, what does be fruitful and multiply actually mean for the individual Christian or even it, uh, for the married couple? Yeah. I mean, no one would doubt that Abraham was fruitful and that his seed has been profoundly multiplied. Yeah. But did Abraham do that or did God do that? Because Abraham only had two children, and he abandoned his first child, Ishmael, leaving him really with only one heir, one child of promise. And yet, because of Abraham's tremendous faith in God, God multiplied Abraham's physical family, and more importantly, God made Abraham's spiritual family innumerable. And so, to me, it's quite clear that this idea of be fruitful and multiply has far less to do with the number of kids that I have and so much more to do with God working through my faith to fill the earth with God's influence and with God's image. Right. Now, that said, many so-called Christians hold a very modern belief that having children is negative to my individual life or to society in general. They make statements like, well, we just don't want children right now because we want to enjoy this time of our lives. Right. We don't want more children because we just don't have time to give them right now. Or we could never afford to have a child in this stage of our lives. It, and we want to, to cause you to question, is that a biblical and and wise and holy attitude. I mean, right. Is that the right attitude? I mean, mm-hmm. just consider Psalm 127, uh, start, you know, beginning down in the middle of that Psalm around verse three, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the loom, a reward like arrows and the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I mean, do we believe this or not? Do we, as God's people, share God's view of the sacredness and the beauty of human life? Right. Do we consider his blessings worth having, no matter what the impact is on my personal comfort level? Mm-hmm. Or do we reject his goodness in light of our own selfish desires and timing? Right. I mean, the most difficult questions about birth control, the most difficult questions about anything are always about the heart, right? right. And this is where the matter of birth control becomes much more complicated than just choosing the right methods. Yes. So here we are, as always, encouraging you to dig into your whys. So why are you as a couple using birth control? Right. Why are you considering it? Is it out of fear? Are you, do you need to get on birth control out of some selfishness? Do you need to get on some birth control or choose a method because it, children might interfere with your worldly pursuits or your other priorities? I mean, ultimately, if your motives are in the wrong place, it may not matter if you are using natural, artificial, or no means of birth control. Right. If your motives are in the wrong place, then you're doing this wrong. 
and you've made the wrong choice, regardless of the methodology that you use for birth control or not. Right. And, you know, if we truly live by faith, then God knows what is best. That, and then we can be content with any outcome of our attempts to either get pregnant or avoid being pregnant. I mean, quite frankly, in our life, two of them were planned. <laughs> two of them were, we're what? Yes. And- right? So, you might have great intents and plans, but let's be blunt. If you're having sex, you are potentially doing something that will create a baby. Right, right. So, and, and if, if are you going to live by faith? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we we might be content to choose a form of birth control that might be a little bit less effective, but is much less morally objectionable. Mm-hmm. If we truly believe that children are, in fact, a blessing from God. Right. Because our faith allows us to align ourselves with God's view of childbearing, Mm -hmm. and it allows us to accept the goodness of being fruitful and multiplying. Right. It it allows us to believe that children are a gift from the Lord. Right. And again, that, you know, that, frankly, that's our personal story. And, And so... It may not have been what we were thinking was right for our lives in that moment, but to be able to look at that coming child through the lens of God and seeing that child as a gift, um, that changes then how you approach birth control. I mean, frankly, God wants more humans to bear His image into the chaos of this world. Yes, and we as God's people have a responsibility of of helping to do that. And that happens sometimes by bearing our own children and raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That also happens when we bring others who are outside of His calling into His family from from the outside. So, we can be fruitful and multiply in so many ways if we are spreading God's influence and His image in the world. But ultimately, God wants more humans to bear His image. Right. And so, consider what role am I willing to play in that? Yeah. You know, He wants me to be sharpened by my role in that process. And so, that tests everything. Yeah. Being a parent is a huge test. Right. Right. You're going to have to combat your fear, your greed, your desire for selfishness, your ability to have patience, to discipline yourself. And your children. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it is a huge test. Be, being, being a parent helps grow you. If you approach it in a godly way and with his purposes in mind, it will, it will make you a better person. Right. So, so the question that we have posed is, is birth control morally acceptable? Is it something that God allows or forbids? Well, I think that trying to manage that process in a responsible way is not sinful. It's just trying to be responsible with what He's given us and with the opportunities that He has given us. But in all things, first consider your whys yes, and exactly your right. hearts. That's exactly right. All right. So, we answered the question of our thoughts on whether or not it's scriptural. Obviously, we want to hear from you. For sure. So, if you have done your own thinking about this, your own wrestling about that, um, or this subject, pull us into that conversation. Send mm-hmm. us an email. Let us know your thoughts um, and how they may align with ours or differ from ours. We'll, we'll, we'll take it all. Yeah, we'd love to hear your opinions on this. 
Uh, next week, we're going to, as we mentioned, delve into some of the specific birth control methods that are currently available, how they work, and then maybe what are the pros and cons of each method so that mm-hmm. you, uh, you couples can make an informed decision about that going forward. All right. This is a fun one, I think, next week. <laughs> All right, Matt, give us our wrap-up. The conversation about birth control must start by rejecting society's notion that children are a negative to my personal life and to society. Rather, we must view children as God sees them, a sacred blessing and a holy responsibility. That said, responsible management of childbearing does not seem to be defiant to God's command to be fruitful and multiply, so long as the Christian faithfully accepts God's will and His grace in any outcome. Now it's time to grab your spouse and your Bible and head to your kitchen table to have the conversation about the choices you have made regarding birth control. What are your motives for using or not using birth control? And more importantly, do your motives align with God's view of childbearing? Thanks so much for subscribing, rating, and sharing the podcast. Thank you so much for your encouragement and your ongoing support, especially Thank you to those of you who have joined us on Patreon. Your financial support is simply invaluable and humbling. Until next time, keep striving and don't settle. Thank you for listening. If you have something to add, we would invite your feedback, questions, and suggestions via our email, podcast at intimatecovenant.com. To submit anonymous questions and feedback, visit our website, intimatecovenant.com backslash podcast. Click on the button, contact the podcast for an anonymous submission form. In addition to this podcast, Intimate Covenant offers group Bible studies, private couples coaching, premarital counseling, weekend seminars, and an annual marriage retreat. We would love to continue the conversation about God's plan for intimate marriage and holy sexuality with you and your friends. If you're interested in bringing us to your church or small group, please contact us podcast at intimatecovenant.com. May God continue to bless your marriage.